There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's As ever, it's great to be back again for yet another week and uh, and today we're going to be talking about beautiful things, which uh, is going to be a fascinating uh, topic um, to uh, discuss with my very good friend today, Stephen Morris, about his wonderful new book, uh, The Beautiful Business. Um, I just want to say a big thank you uh, to um, my guest last week, Blair Singer, was absolutely fantastic. Actually, we had a brilliant conversation. We talked about we talked about kind of education. We talked about why leaders need to become great facilitators, uh, great teachers, and about building really organisations that are based around learning. And uh, Blair's organisation, they they train in sales and facilitation, and uh, in in over um, 40 countries, so really, really prolific. But I, I found him just a, a fantastic soul and a fantastic person to communicate with. So we're now, um, we're now as uh, recording this right now, we're in November. We've just um, had, um, or going through the final stages of the COP26 over here in the UK. And I just hope that uh, we are on a path to a more beautiful world uh, it does feel like uh, there are a lot of challenges right now in this this period of history that we're in. And I think uh, that's where we need to be sticking together. We need to be learning from great people as we're going to today from Stephen, from Blair, and, and all the time challenging and just thinking about our own behavior and who we are, how we are evolving such that we are able to give hope to people uh, in these challenging times, such that we're able to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. So, you know, your business, you know, it matters, doesn't it? And the big question today is, why not make it beautiful? You know, uh, I heard uh, someone say to me this week, you know, sick, sick planet, sick people. And uh, we are at, at a point in history where we need to bring some of the beauty back into the, into the planet. But also, uh, my guest Stephen today would say that you need to bring beauty into your business. Now, Stephen is a brand and cultural advisor. He's an author and speaker. He's an acclaimed artist. He's been on the show several times. He's a great friend. And I've known him now for a number of years. And in my opinion, he is, he's, he's deep and meaningful. He's ph uh, philosophical. He's artistic. He's caring. But he's also practical. And uh, I find his, you know, his, his heartfelt, deep thinking uh, just really, really valuable. And I think it's... Uh, Right now, uh, reading books like Steve's and uh, listening to uh, people who can help us understand that biggest perspective is just so important. And I'm proud to call him a really, really good friend. And his background is fascinating. He's worked with more than 3,000 business leaders, um, over 250 global and regional companies, which include and big organizations like Samsung and Sony and Am Amazon International uh, Trademark Association, NFL. 
And we're going to talk today, we're going to focus on his brand new book, The Beautiful Business. It was launched yesterday. It was um, published um, by um, Conscious Capitalism Press. And some of you will know um, our our mutual friend, Corey Blake, who uh, heads that organization. And the book focuses on how businesses of all size and leaders really can, um, at leaders of those organizations can build integrity, belonging, and uh, magnetism through their brands and cultures. So let's talk about the beautiful business. Uh, A big welcome to Stephen Morris. Chris Cooper, thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here and uh, congratulations to you. I would say that you are one of those leaders out in the world uh, that actually shape not just a beautiful show like we're on right now, but uh, I know a bit about your business and uh, the work that you're doing inside of organizations. And I know that you're running a beautiful, beautiful business. And I also believe that the work that you're doing is helping to shape uh, beauty within inside the organizations and the cultural work that you do. So congratulations to that. Well, thank you. Thank you, Steve. And, and you've just um, inspired me actually now to, to tidy up my desk, actually, after <laughs> this session. <laughs> so thinking, yeah, I think this is important, all of this, but my desk doesn't look beautiful right now. So I'm going to go and uh, sort that out, I think, after, after the conversation. But tell, tell us, Steve, you know, what, what has been happening in, in your world since we, we last spoke on the show? Well, I think the last time I was on the show with you, Chris, I, I uh, took the microphone away and we celebrated your show's 10th anniversary. And we had uh, our Elevation Collective uh, turn the tables and ask uh, beautiful questions of you. And uh, you shared a bit about your journey and uh, the you know hundreds of episodes that you've created over the years. So what have I been up to since then? Really, uh, not a whole lot, just uh, publishing this book called The Beautiful Business and trying to get it out into the world as well as uh, continuing continuing my work in serving organizations through uh, business uh, strategy, brand, and cultural alignment and evolving organizations uh, within the work that I do. So uh, more of the same, really, in my world. And you've obviously, you've launched this book and I have to give uh, you know full credit to you, um, and that uh, you know, having I, I must confess I've not read the whole book yet, and I will I will do, um, but in the in the sort of forty percent that I've been through so far and uh, and looked at, you know, it is a, a beautiful piece of work, not only in the title but in the way that you have presented it with your own artwork, etc. Um, but I've been just as a considering as I look at that, you know, people today. Many people you know, just get books out and produce them but quite quickly and don't all, aren't always concerned about the quality and the content, and uh, that absolutely does not apply to you. So, you know, I know you've been very busy in these last, uh, these last eight weeks or so since we last, um, we last spoke on the show uh, in producing something of, uh, of this, this um, unusual level of quality, I think, in, this, uh, in the market today. So congratulations, Steve. Thank you for that, Chris. And it's probably worth talking just for a moment about what we mean by beauty, or at least what I mean by beauty. And it's partially the impetus for writing the book. Um, So as we know, we get fairly caught up in Western culture around, you know, the superficial versions of beauty, which have to do with the way something looks and the fashion industry is quite good at, you know, claiming that, in fact, they call themselves the beauty industry, that, which would include the cosmetics industry. 
But by beauty, in the sense that I'm using it in the beautiful business context, uh, not just the book, but even things like asking beautiful questions, I'm really talking about a felt sense of beauty. The Japanese aesthetic uh, definitions of beauty have to do with uh, things that are aligned with nature, things that have harmony, things that have symmetry, things that have integrity to them. And these are things that we don't just see, but we absorb through all of our senses. And so when I'm talking about beauty in the beautiful business context, uh, I'm really talking about it from this felt sense or what others would call full spectrum beauty, which can create experiences that uh, transcend us, that move us, that uh, change the state of the world of ourselves, the world of our businesses and the world around us, and even perhaps the greater world. So, so, it, so this, is, this is the beauty in, in respect of you know, the, the, the five senses and possibly the sixth if we if we believe there's a, there's a sixth kind of sense but it's 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 how we interpret and feel feel that as, and uh, hear it and uh, experience it not just we're not just talking about physical beauty here yeah and I, I think it's something that we as human beings really have no defenses for uh, when we experience something that moves us uh, and just you know everyone can imagine, for instance, the, you know, the face of a newborn child or especially their child or a sunset on a glorious day uh, or the, the laughter, the feeling of community uh, amongst you know, close family and friends. You know, we feel those things and while we can see them, uh, you know, like the beautiful sunset or the, you know, the face of a newborn child, we actually... Uh, feel them much more than see them. And, uh, you know, we go into this state called awe or even wonder at that point. And it's at that point, our emotions then become fully engaged into the experiences and all of our senses, um, whatever number of senses we actually have, and there, I know there's some debate about that, um, they're fully enlivened, fully engaged, and we go into the state of flow and presence. Yeah. You just took me back actually to an image of my when my first son was born, and uh, I had uh, well, he was born a cesarean section. Um, he was taken from my wife uh, and uh, into a room with me uh, while they were um, sort of repairing her. And uh, and I'll never forget sort of looking at him as he opened his eyes for the first time, and uh, you know, and his kind of reflex he gripped gripped my my finger with mm. with his. And for me, that that was a real, real sense of kind of awe and beauty and connection. Um, and funnily enough, uh, probably a couple of nights ago, he's he's fifteen now, and he, he's uh, physically very fit and strong for his age, and and quite a handsome chap. And he was looking at himself in the mirror, and he's saying, "Dad, do I look good?" And I said, "Yeah, you do." And because uh, he is quite a quite a beautiful looking boy, but actually, do you know, Matthew, the thing that I really Gives, gives, is, is more important to me is, is inner beauty, <laughs> you know, and that inner kind of, kind of presence and, you know, kindness and things like that, you know, rather than maybe, you know, having a photo on Facebook and looking good. Yeah. Cool. When you think about it, that's, well, that A is a beautiful example. And when you think about it in the, in the terms of, you know, the comparative physical world. So, we can all imagine a person who is um, probably by you know, most Western standards considered a, a handsome or beautiful person, but then if their personality or their character doesn't necessarily feel beautiful, 
we wouldn't call them a beautiful person. We just might call them good looking. Uh, and I think the same can be said about a business. When we think about you know, the, the way a business perhaps visually presents themselves is really only part of the consideration of how we de determine our attraction to that business or our sense of magnetism to that business. And that felt sense of beauty, that felt connection is as important as the way something looks or perhaps even more important than the way something looks. Yeah, yeah, and you do, you get with, with brands, I know that's your work, you, you feel a connection with certain brands, don't you? And, and that can be, can be very positive and very warm. And I've, I've actually made a conscious, conscious decision to move to brands that give me good customer service, for example, mm. because I'm, mm -hmm. I, I just don't like being, spending hours calling people without getting help. I'm prepared to pay more for that. But, but um, I have certain organizations that I make my heart sink. Uh, mm. rather than fill me with wonder and awe. Yeah, and really what we're talking about there is how does the company make you feel when you interact with them? And what is the value system that they have in order to create that connection and cre create that sense of feeling? Uh, and like you said, you're willing to pay more for it and you're willing to jump ship, if you will, from those organizations that don't serve you in the same type of way. And mm. so, you know, part of the work that I know that you do and part of the work that I do has to do with how we create cultures that feel wonderful and beautiful that can actually serve a set of customers in a way that makes them feel like they're, they matter and that their, their business matters and that our connection to them and our, their connection to us matters as well. And do, do you think, Steve, you know, we're in this period of history where, where we, you know, we, we're facing this real, very few people are denying this now, we are facing this real challenge when it comes to you know, the, the natural environment and, and climate change and sustainability. And, uh, and I, I, what we were talking about, you and, you and I, and uh, the, the collective the other night, which was, was fascinating, was, was about how some of us were moving you know, our investments to, all, to ethical companies now. Uh, to companies that may be doing things in a more beautiful, beautiful kind of way. And I thought that was really interesting. I think some of these organizations who don't do this, are going to have to look out, aren't they? Because uh, if they don't sort themselves out and create these great environments, people are going to leave uh, and uh, move to places that they wanted. They're going to buy from companies that are potentially more ethical. Not everybody, but... Uh, but many, but there is a groundswell now. And I'm just wondering, Steve, whether your work is just right bang on the moment. Hmm. You know, the, the question of value creation comes into play when I think about that question, Chris. And when, when a company increases its value to its customers, and assuming they're a publicly held company in, in the context of this particular question, they also increase their value to shareholders. So the more customers that they attract, the more customers that they keep, the more customers that they, they connect to and, and feel like they're actually serving, the, the larger the organization becomes and the more valuable it becomes. And so the world of investment is actually shifting in the direction of not just must, much more sustainability, which I think is incredibly important. And here we're talking environmental sustainability, but also profit sustainability 
in the way that they create relationships and even loyalty. Um, and in my book, I talk about it from the sense of magnetism, where they're attracting the right types of customers in the right way and keeping them, keeping them engaged. And I completely agree with you, Chris. All of my investments have shifted into more, much more sustainable companies, much more companies that um, mostly because of the work that I do and I live in the world of brands and how brands connect out into the world and serve people, uh, both internally and externally. I, I've shifted all my investments into companies that are serving people, serving the planet, and still making good profit at the same time. And I, I believe, and this is the sort of the, the, the thesis for the beautiful business book, is that when companies do all three of those, or at least they do the first two, which is care for people, care for planet, profits will follow and, and most likely more exponential profits. Hmm. Steve, we've just got a couple of minutes till commercial break now, but um, you, you are a very accomplished artist. You are, you know, you're a mar marketeer. Uh, you also, you've studied psychology and I think you blend this kind of world very beautifully. And I'm, and I'm, I'm wondering whether, whether this, this artistry, which uh, some people might think about as being, you know, how, uh, having nice pictures on the office walls at, uh, at work, whether business leaders need to take it much more seriously than, than, than that and really appreciate that actually there is a mindset here about being an artist and, and developing artist, artistry that's really important in this age. I, I completely agree. And, and to your point, Chris, the, the way I think about artistry is not necessarily an individual who is, is creating a, you know, music or a painting or, or a piece of sculpture or something to that nature, but it is a way of thinking about and approaching the world, uh, making products and or services that move people. And when we think about over the span of history and great business leaders, people like Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Oprah Winfrey, Sarah Blakely, of, uh, founder of, of Spanx, these are all people who tinkered in their garages or came up with ideas on their own, uh, very much like an artist would, would create. And then they essentially built these beautiful businesses that then created products that solved a big problem for a wide variety of people out there. And so when I think about artistry, I'm really thinking about how a business leader approaches their work to move people. Fantastic. We're going to go to commercial break now. Uh, much more after the break, uh, we'll look at uh, we'll look at uh, you know some of the key kind of components and tenants and aspects of the book uh, and Steve's thinking, which can help us down this um, this journey to thinking in a more beautiful way and a more um, aligned and connected way and um, building businesses that really count. And as we discussed there with, uh, with you know, ethical investments, um, there's also, you know, for companies, we, money is, is important for them to develop and grow. There, there are probably opportunities in this significant ones to, uh, to generate further uh, financial benefit to, to grow and add more value. So do join us in a couple of minutes and we'll be back with you shortly. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. 
one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi this is chris cooper i'm with steve morris we're talking about the beautiful business and and steve the, the book as I mentioned earlier, it's full of um, beautiful photographs and, and uh, artwork, all your own work uh, that you have, uh, and, and the, you know, the cover of design you created that, you're, that yourself. And I, I just wonder, with the book and the style that it's written, it's that the, the language is, is eloquent and really considered and uh, very thought-provoking. I wonder... Is this, are you aiming this book at a certain type of leader? Uh, do you have to, do, does it help if you meditate in the morning before you read it to get into it? I mean, I'm just really <laughs> intrigued at what your thoughts are. Uh, love that question. I, um, <laughs> no, it is not a prerequisite that you're a meditator or even have a spiritual practice in any way, shape, or form to, uh, to, to dive into the experience of this book. And more importantly, uh, to think about how you as a business leader might actually create your own beautiful business. Um, but I will say that, you know, I, I believe that the role of leadership has changed over the last, I don't know, short period of time. Um, and I, I mean, even before COVID, let's call it in that last 10, 10 years. And I think a big part of leadership is to inspire people to go beyond, to do their very best work and arise to the greatest version of themselves. And I think it does take a, a, an awakened leader who understands the responsibility of leadership, not just as a role that lands into the outcomes of the organization, even though that is incredibly important from a leadership to, to drive outcomes, but it's also to inspire the people around them. And in order for a leader to inspire the people around them, I believe that they, sh- they need to have like their own version of self-awareness. And by self-awareness, I mean the two sides of self-awareness, which is the internal self-awareness, uh, where it really answers the question to the extent of which I, as a leader, am aware of my motivations, my drivers, my purpose in life, my core values, 
And then the second side of self-awareness is the extent to which I understand how I show up in the world and how I affect the people around me. And as I call in the book, an awakened leader or an evolved leader is one who understands not only their own personal drivers, but how they apply into their world of business and then how they affect the people around them. So really the book is for people who have had that level of awakening in their life, that level of evolution in their life. And they're really thinking about how do I positively affect the world around me? And usually from the leadership perspective, that is both the people and the organization, the people inside and outside the organization. And that could include their community, the stakeholders, the investors, certainly the employees and the customers at the same time. And so I think the invitation is for those leaders who are looking for a different way to do business that is much more integrated into our personal lives. And one of the things that I've recognized over the last, I don't know, five or 10 years is that our, our personal stories, our work stories, our vocational journeys, and even our business stories are beginning to meld together much more integrated. And I think it's part of the reason that we're having the great resignation and the big quit that's happening right now. Yeah, yeah. And what's the first, I mean, this, this point of awakening that you, you talk about, and if I, if I think about my awakening, it was, it was a program that I did when I was 28 that changed my life and my kind of thinking. Did you have an awakening, Steve? Did you go through that point? Did you go for a point where, you know, circumstances or situation happened that actually you you emerged out of it a little bit like a, I don't know, a chrysalis turning into a butterfly? <laughs> I, I think I've had several, uh, and I'll identify just a couple of the key ones. One of which you touched on earlier, which is the minute you become a parent, uh, which I'm a father of two young men and proud to be so, the, it's the minute you realize that you have a significant, significant responsibility to those you know, very vulnerable young creatures that you brought into this world and into your family. And you know, so th that I, I think in most of the parents that I've talked to have had some level of awakening from that perspective. The other awakening that I had, Chris, was back in 2013, I did a time analysis um, around how was I spending my time in my work. And this was, I was then the CEO of my previous agency, which I sold in 2017. And that time analysis, I tracked uh, all of my waking hours over a two to three week uh, standpoint, and I put them into a spreadsheet and then categorized them into realms of things that I liked to do, was good at doing, and then also realms that had to do with what I called, uh, what Gay Hendricks calls my, the zone of genius, which is how you show up with your greatest gifts in the world, where you're enlivened by that work and you're well compensated for it. And the stark realization that I had after the three-week time period of, of that time tracking experiment was that I was only spending about 10% of my time in my zone of genius. And so I thought, wow, this is my life. How am I, how am I going to reconcile this? Because it was, it was a very uncomfortable feeling that I was only spending ten percent of my time, and so I did a, you know, a, a whole bunch of soul searching um, uh, and and reflection time around what should I do about that. And I realized that there wasn't, I didn't see a way to repivot my the current business that I had back then. So I packaged it up and got it ready for acquisition. 
so I could transition off and do the work that I'm doing right now, uh, which is now I'm luckily, knock wood, uh, I'm spending at least 80% of my time in my zone of genius. And that zone of genius is really serving other people, individuals, and organizations so that they can realize their greatest potential and live their own purpose. And often in the world of business, that means helping organizations and organizational leaders identify the heart and soul of who they are and then activate that and share it with the world. Fantastic. And do you think the, you, you talked about the great resignation there. Do you think the pandemic for some people has been that, that moment where they've really stopped thought, thought what's important, thought about who they are, the environment they're in and ability to influence it. And as a consequence are making changes. Oh, absolutely. I think there's a confluence of things that are happening there. And part of that is, as to your point, has happened on the personal level where we had so much time during the pandemic that we were sequestered alone by ourselves or with you know close family members. And we really got to think about what is important in our lives and not just what is important in our work. And up until I think the pandemic, a lot of people were more or less in autopilot and they were really living a system where their work and their rhythms and schedules of work dictated how they were living their lives. And I think the pandemic flipped all of that on its head and we began to live first, partially because we had to and we had to focus in on that and then work second. And now I believe what the reconciliation is happening or with the great resignation is a reclamation of our own personal freedom and our ability to both have the freedom to say yes or no to the things that we want to say yes or no to. And as we, you know, the statistics are startling in that, uh, I think the numbers in August were that 4.3 million people um, in the U.S., which is about 3% of the population, quit their jobs. And what they're doing is they're quitting organizations that they feel like they're not contributing to or they're not seen and or they don't have belonging. And now people are you know, flipping the script and designing their personal life first and ensuring in whatever ways that they can that their, that their work life works for their personal lives and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, you know, that the, the pandemic has, has made people realize that life is, life is short. And, uh, you know, a number of us have, uh, have friends who've lost um, relatives, lost close relatives and, and friends to COVID. And I was talking to a wonderful, wonderful business leader from Ken- Kenya uh, a couple of nights ago. And, uh, you know, Kenya, you know, many people have lost their lives. I think the vaccination levels are 5.3%, something like that now. And, uh, you know, you really, when you, you, you have that kind of experience around you, it makes you question what's really important. And that, that job, which is taking up all of your energy and taking you away from your family, it um, perhaps helps you reevaluate. I absolutely think it does. And, you know, perhaps, and I want to be very careful about how I say this, that the pandemic or the blessings of the pandemic, if there are any, is that there has been this reconciliation of what is most important to us. What, what do we truly cherish in life? What do we truly value in life? And how do we live ourselves into that? Steve, let's uh, let's move back into the you know into the realm of the the book. I'm just kind of int- intrigued. You know, what is the 
what is the journey for a business leader through through the beautiful business? What does it look like? What are the the key principles in the book that we need to consider too? Yeah, one of which we talked about. So there's four key tenants to the book itself. Uh, and the book is sort of organized around these particular tenants, one of which we talked about, which is evolved leadership. And again, just to you know remind folks that in my perspective, evolved leadership are you know, leaders who have a high level of self-awareness, a clear sense of their own belief systems and how they affect the people around them, which defines how they lead, uh, not just the people, but the organizations. So that's for the first tenant. And I, I believe that that has to be in place in order for the other tenants to even begin to take root or begin to be activated. And the next tenant is this attribute uh, that Brene Brown talks about so prolifically is this idea of belonging. And belonging really asks the question of how do the people in the organization bond together, connect together, and not just fit in. And as Brene Brown talks about the difference between belonging and fitting in is that fitting in is when we show up and we hide part of ourselves or sometimes we make ourselves smaller in order to feel connected to the people around us. Where the where belonging is when we show up and we are our fullest expression of ourselves and usually are the best version of ourselves. And we then are welcomed into the organization because of that best version of ourselves. And we have the opportunity or really we shine the light on other people and see their best, the best version of themselves and allow them to show up fully as their full expression of human being. So that's belonging is the second attribute. And then third attribute or tenant is this attribute called magnetism. And this is how the company goes about attracting the right people to the organizations. And you know, depending on the structure of that organization, that can mean uh, the right employees. It could mean the right investors. It could mean the right stakeholders. It could also mean the right customers or certainly would mean the right customers. And it would certainly mean you know, what their relationship is with the community. So magnetism, you know, especially applies to the outside world when we think about attracting customers and no longer chasing customers. We we actually hold a value system that they feel magnetized in and towards a business that uh, becomes unignorable to, to the right people. So magnetism is the third tenant. And then the fourth tenant behind the beautiful business is this attribute of integrity. And integrity, uh, which we all know, is the integrated system of the teams and the organization's belief systems and consistent behaviors and how the inside of that organization connects to the outside of that organization. And so the attribute of you know, a strong sense of character comes to mind. And organizations that have integrity or a strong sense of integrity are organizations that we trust. And trust is the... Uh, the the emotional currency that all businesses trade in. And in fact, you know, going back to your point earlier about you know the companies that we're now investing in, it's companies that we believe in. They're doing the right things, and we trust that they're going to live up to the things that they say, which then connects again back to integrity. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really um, like liking this, Steve. And and so that the first, you know. The leader has to kind of uh, evolve and then help people to feel like they belong and they can be themselves and bring the best of themselves. So, you know, sometimes allowing them maybe some of their idiosyncrasies and things like that. So they, so they're not dumping it down and uh, trying to be like everybody else. And then 
The, the third one was about magnetism and uh, and then integrity. And I'm, and I'm thinking about magnetism. I had a guest on the show a number of weeks ago, and I'm, I'm sorry to him if he's listening, but I can't remember um, who, which one he was. But he did talk to me about two you know, two clients that he had in exactly the same industry. And they've got this particular client and they've got two roles that they just said, look, there's nobody out there. Uh, were really struggling to fill them. They've been vacant for a while. And he knew because he had another client in the same sector that it was all about them because that client had just filled 50 vacancies <laughs> with uh, mm. some of the roles very similar to the two that uh, couldn't be filled. But one was magnetic and the other wasn't. You know, this this element, I was just talking uh, yesterday to a group of people that I was running workshops for, and um, I do brand and culture work for this organization. And one of the challenges that they're having, which is a very common challenge, is the, you know, filling the right employees. And they have a backlog. I think you know, this organization has 3,500 employees. They have open positions for about 75 pos- people right now. And they're having a very, very difficult time attracting or magnetizing the right, the right people into that organization. And most of it is because of the big quit and this great resignation that we're experiencing right now. So the question then is, how does you know, an organization attract more of the right people within that organization and what I call make the invitation to those people? And I think that the clearer an organization is on their own value system and the more articulate they are about professing or expressing that value system, the more they're going to attract or rather magnetize people who have shared values and want to work for that organization and contribute to it, not just show up for a job. Steve, we're going to go to commercial break again now. Um, So after the break, let's, um, let's find out um, a little bit more about uh, about the book and what a leader must learn about uh, about psychology, and love to hear some of any some favorite examples that Stephen's got of uh, of, of companies that uh, he feels are really creating um, be- a beautiful business which uh, is thriving for everybody. So uh, thank you. We'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. Do join us after the break. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One to one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Stephen Morris, and we're talking about the beautiful business. And Stephen, there's a question that has been bubbling up for me, and that is we... You know, you were talking about this book being really valuable for for leaders who have been through, you know, journeys which have um, let, put them and brought them into a space where they are quite evolved. Um, there's a statistic in your book, uh, a study which I found really fascinating, uh, which was the one which um, identified how many leaders felt they were kind of evolved and aware in their their thinking, and a study by an external body who who came up with with a very different statistic. Do you want to just share that, if you can remember what I'm talking about? I, I, I do remember this statistic. I don't remember, unfortunately, the study that it was cited from. I think I, I cite the study within the book, and I don't have the book in front of me to, to note that. But the, the sort of the spirit of that study and sort of uh, the, um, the, uh, the aha that came out of it is that the reality is a lot of business Peter leaders believe that they have a high degree of self-awareness. And again, self-awareness is both an internal thing of, you know, how they're, how they're, they're aware of their own belief systems, but also how they affect the people around them. And the study really was saying that while a lot of leaders believe that they have a, a high degree of self-awareness, their team is, is citing that they actually don't. And really what the study was saying is that, Leaders, for the most part, don't really understand how they affect the people around them, which is why I think it's really important for a leader to understand and go through a continual process, not just of learning, but of identification of their own blind spots. Uh, because the human condition is tricky enough that we don't really often know how we're affecting the people around us. While our intentions might be one thing, how our behavior systems or how you know, a leader gives uh, feedback or critique or direction. Uh, we don't really know how it affects the people around them. And so, you know, my recommendation there is that leaders either go through um, a 360 evaluations or review systems in which they can identify their own blind spots. And this is true with leaders at every level within the organization. I, here, we're, when we're talking about leadership, we're not just talking about the C-level executives, but we're talking about VPs, directors, and even managerial levels. And especially at the managerial level, a lot of those folks who have been sort of promoted into becoming a manager have done so out of sort of the uh, the ground system of the work, and they've been very good at their job. And now all of a sudden, they're like, oh, great, you're good at your job. Now let's make you a manager. But they haven't been trained into being a manager. And so they don't often know how to um, give feedback to people, direct people, give them guidance, uh, or work, you know, in that particular situation at the managerial level, cross-manage, manage up, and manage down. And by manage up, I mean manage up to their superiors and manage down to the people that report to them. And so part of the work that I do, and I think that you do as well, is helping people and do trainings and systems to help people become better leaders through greater senses of self-awareness and understanding most particularly how they're affecting the people around them, which is really a, a, a game of understanding the psychology of human beings. Yeah. I, I think the, the statistic I, I read in your, in, your, in your book, which 
which which uh, did bring it home for me. I think I'm pretty sure it said that about 85 in a, in a study about 85 percent of of leaders that had been in, in studied believed that they had a a, a high very high um, level of self awareness. But the study found in their research it to be you know less than 15 percent. And and I think that I think that was fascinating because um, it it I think it enables people to to question whether they are they do have the level of self awareness that they need to get the results that they need around people, um, but also the realization that when you do have that level of self awareness, it probably puts you in a special set of leaders. You know, there's a real kind of potentially you know competitive advantage here. If you um, if you if you know, find yourself um, having the level of awareness, you're in that fifteen percent, and and maybe that statistic helps us understand why some businesses and cultures really thrive and others don't. It's really interesting because I would imagine a lot of people listening think, "Oh, I'm in that fifteen percent," but the statistics would say otherwise. <laughs> the statistics are much more likely that a leader thinks they're in that 15% of high degree of self-awareness, but they probably fall more in uh, and the, the 85% that don't fit within that. Um, I think it's really, really important as a leader, and this is true for any human being, to go through a constant assessment of how am I truly affecting the people and the world around me. And which is why cultural programs such as the work that you do and I do, I think are particularly potent in that it can help leaders and, and the entire organization understand the truth and the reality. And with the truth, knowing the truth, we can actually manage the truth. Uh, we can't manage something that A, we're not aware of, and we can't manage something that hasn't been brought to light as a particular challenge. And as Jung said, Carl Jung said, until we make the unconscious, conscious, it will direct our life and we will call it fate. And within the organizational world, the way that that comes to life is that these, you know, with the statistics in mind, those 85% of people who believe that they're strong leaders and self-aware leaders and affecting their team around them, what we then have to do, or the invitation is to actually continually study ourselves so that the truth and the unconscious comes to light so that we can manage based on that. And you know, once we understand what the truth is of the organization or what the reality is of the organization, then we really truly have something that we can work with. Fantastic. And this, this journey, it's not an easy one, is it? I mean, you do have to be brave to be prepared to take that feedback from other people and hear it and, and seek it really. So, um, you know, I think it's it. You know, those people who achieve that, it's quite admirable. I think, but very admirable because they they grow as human beings and uh, through that experience. But you do have to take feedback, don't you? Which which human beings often don't like, and then be prepared to to not defend it, but to swallow it, do something with it, mm-hmm. and uh, and and fine tune and and keep improving. Yeah, when we go back into the work of Brene Brown, for instance, the attribute of vulnerability. Uh, comes to mind. And most leaders are not particularly vulnerable and most because we haven't been trained to do so. And the, 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 how a leader works on themselves and goes through their own work of self-awareness, the challenge there is that it's done so in more or less a public setting. 
all eyes are on them. They're expected to have all the answers. They're expected to have it all together all the time. To your point, and really what Brene Brown talks about is that some of the most courageous leaders have this very clear sense of vulnerability and that they're willing to, first and foremost, examine themselves. They're willing to be seen as imperfect sometimes, which we as human beings, it's part of our human condition is that we're imperfect and ideally constantly improving. They're willing to not have all the answers all the time and actually say that. And then they're also then willing to lean on their team around them to give them a feedback loop in which not only they can learn, but the organization can improve. So this linchpin of vulnerability at the leadership level, I think is kind of non-negotiable for organizations to thrive. Because if a leader then becomes vulnerable, open to learning, open to continual feedback, they're going to improve. And when that leader improves, the team improves. When the team improves, the organization improves. You mentioned earlier on an organization you'd worked with, I think with 3,000 200 people and if you don't have that vulnerability and that humility at that level and you you believe you make the decisions and you believe that your decisions are always right is it is, is that not extremely arrogant to think that you you have you know more than 3,200 others who together you know it, it could be very powerful um i you know just, just to see that sometimes when that vulnerability is not there, that it's almost like I, I know more than you, so you follow, follow me. I think that style of leadership, again, depending on the type of organization, is, is dying. Because most, especially when you have an organization with larger teams, most teams, there is a system of accountability. And so a leader, when they when they address you know, their, their work, their leadership style, and their management style with this sense of arrogance, they're only going to get pushback, or not, not only, but mostly going to get pushback from the team around them. And the likelihood is, you, know, you take a, a, like a large organization, like the organization I was working with yesterday that has you know, more than 3,000 employees. Now, we look at that and say, wow, there's a lot of leaders at that organization not all of them are going to be self-aware, but in, if the culture is set up in such a way that the greater leaders, the leaders with a higher degree of self-awareness are going to be advanced further and more quickly within the organization, that then turns into a reward system. So those leaders who are then, then getting overpassed by promotions and things like that because of their leadership style that doesn't fit within the organization, they have to then look in the mirror and say, oh, what am I doing wrong or what could I be doing better in order to get that next higher level position and things like that. And usually it's at that point that they look around them and they see the leaders who are thriving and succeeding within an organization that, that rewards that type of behavior. And then they either leave that organization and go to another organization and try their, try their same game out there, or they actually change the way they play their game of business. They, they change their leadership style and they personally evolve. And once they do that, then all of a sudden they can affect the people around them in a much more positive way and then improve the organization. And likely what they're going to see is further advancement. Excellent. Steve, we've got, a, we've got about probably three minutes until I need to wrap up. Uh, do you have an example of a company that you think is operating a beautiful business? There's 
several examples come to mind. Uh, Patagonia is always at the top of my list of you know organizations that do exceptional work in the world, and they have a not only a great brand but a great following. They protect the environment. Uh, Zappos is another organization. Unfortunately, Tony Shea passed away. I think it was last year. I can't quite remember. Apologies, Tony, for that. Um, and he wrote a book called uh, Delivering Happiness that was all about the beautiful culture that he created at Zappos. And there's an organization called HG Fenton that I am honored to work with, and I've worked with them over the last uh, three or four years. And they have a culture that they're in the real estate industry. They're based here in San Diego, but they also have offices in Austin, Texas, and up in LA. And they're in the because they're in the real estate industry. It's not necessarily a, a, an industry that has a reputation for treating people well. Yet their culture is their secret sauce, and there are a line of people who are just really aching to work at that organization. And they have more uh, applicants that they can possibly hire, which is sort of the opposite problem than most organizations currently have, uh, whether they're in real estate or not, which is they have more vacancies than they can fill at this point. But HG Fenton has this beautiful culture. It has love at the core of what they do. They have a, a belief system around people first and how to lead from a people first standpoint. And this gives people the opportunity to thrive both personally, professionally, they take care of the people individually and their, and their private lives. And they give them great training systems in which they can serve their customers and become better employees. And they hire within very, very frequently. So a lot of the vice presidents uh, have been there for quite a long time. And this is a business that has reinvented themselves multiple times over the last 110 years. So they've been in business for 110 years and they have one of the most exceptional cultures, one of the most exceptional businesses that uh, I see out there. Steve, I'm going to have to kind of leave, leave, leave us there. been an absolutely amazing. Um, I wonder, do you just have a final message though you'd like to just finish with? I think the one invitation, uh, this, this line, this question exists within the book is uh, the end of Mary Oliver's poem. And it is the question of what is it that you will do with this one wild and precious life? And you as a business leader have that opportunity and you have the agency to change the world if you want to. Beautiful, Steve. Great way to leave the show and the conversation today. Um, always a pleasure. Um, hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, to find out more about the uh, the book, go to the hyphen beautiful hyphen business.com the hyphen beautiful hyphen business.com and uh i assume steve it's going to be available in all kind of online booksellers shortly it's available in the world right now absolutely just came out yesterday fantastic and um and and steve if people want to find out more about you could you is is it matter.co your website yeah, the website to go to to find out about my work, my consulting work, or sign up for my newsletter, which has 25,000 people that read it every week, is matterco.co, matter, M-A-T-T-E-R-C-O dot C-O. Steve, thanks very much once again. On next week's show, we have David Keane. Oh, I think David was on the show, maybe. God, uh, 
eight years ago, something like that. Um, he, we talked about pitching last time. He's a master when it comes to um, comes to uh, the pitch. Um, we're going to be talking about um, better business relationships, better relationships in business next week. He's got a brand new book out. It's going to be great to catch up with him. Um, if you've got any questions or comments, do they send them to me, chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Also, always brilliant to hear from you. And uh, thank you. I'm just you know, honored and grateful that so many people listen to this show um, from all over the world. Um, and um, just thank you for doing this. And I hope that you take some of the principles and ideas today um, that uh, Steve's been uh, discussing with me uh, and, and help uh, your business in whatever form it is to become a more beautiful business. Because if you do that, you're going to have more belonging, more magnetism, more, more integrity. And as a leader, I think you're going to be a better human being and then have a better life experience all around. I'll be back with you again next week. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.